Do you struggle with maintaining a desire for the Word? Do you know why and how you can overcome this? Find out on Change by Grace. Welcome to Change by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. What is your time like in God's Word? Do you read it, study it, or desire it? If you struggle with answering those questions, I want to encourage you to listen today as we look at 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. But with your Bibles open, let's study together from God's Word. Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. This morning we're going to look at the first two verses. Here Peter is writing, according to chapter 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, uh, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he says here in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Two very powerful verses right there. In order for us to desire the Word of God, he says that you have to lay aside sin because sin will literally seek to extinguish your desire for the Word. Now, if we took a few moments and did a brief survey and asked the following question, I'm sure that all of us would lift our hands, and the question would be simply this. How many of you in here have struggled with your desires for the Word? Now, again, being honest, all of us would have to lift our hands up, and probably more than once. There are days where you may not desire the Word. And frankly, on those days when you do not desire, those are days when you have to work the hardest to be in the Word. Would you agree with, the, with me on that? And there are also the days where you may feel a sense of defeat. But I hope this morning that you will see what it is at the heart of the issue in desiring the Word of God. If you'll notice there, in verse 1, he lists in this passage... Five sins. He says, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He says, all of this has to be laid aside. But in order for this to happen, we need to understand a very important word that begins at the beginning of verse 1. Now, I don't want to belabor a certain point when we come to the word, therefore, where I always say we need to find out why the word is therefore. But it is important in terms of context and understanding to help us, what, help us to understand what is taking place in the passage. When you come to a therefore, something has already been said, leading him to conclude with another statement or another principle. And you find that it begins back in verse 22 of chapter 1. So let me have you look at that. He says there, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. 
That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And it is, and this is the word which was preached to you. Therefore, put aside. Therefore, long for the pure milk of the word. Therefore, presents to us a context gives us the reason why he is giving us this exhortation here in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It goes back and tells us in verse 23 that there is a new life that has been imparted. And it argues in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that therefore a new kind of experience is demanded of the believer. So we could say this in looking at how we are to desire the pure milk of the Word. It begins, first of all, by remembering your life's source. You were born again by what? By the Word of God. Look again at verse 23. He says, having been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. James says it another way. He says it in James 1.18, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We were born again by the word of God. It is the word that birthed new life within us. And Peter is saying, listen, you need to always remember your life's source. You never want to get disconnected from your life's source. Because when that happens, you will not desire the word like you should. The word of God is what changed your life. He refers to it as the incorruptible word. And also the living and abiding word. When he says here it's the incorruptible or the imperishable word, it means that it's not subject to decay. It's not subject to death. It's imperishable. It's immortal. And he says it's through the living and enduring or abiding word of God by which we have been born again. This word will remain forever. Like he says in verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If there's anything that will last forever, it is the word of God. You and I realize every day that things don't last forever. Things are always breaking. That's one of the Issues that we have to deal with if you own your home. Things break, and you have to fix it. Or you ignore it, and it stays broken. And it may lead to more broken things. common thing that I hear many times is something is broke again. We use the word again because apparently it broke again. (laughs) It wasn't fixed either right the first time or it just broke again. Poor Jeremy 
his car. We've replaced the uh, fuel pump two times, and we might be doing it a third time. Problem with that thing, it's in the gas tank. Gas tank has to be dropped. Pull that thing out. It breaks. Everything breaks. But you know, the Word of God doesn't break. The Word of God doesn't fade away. The Word of God lives. It's a living Word. In fact, we know from Hebrews 4.12 that it is a powerful Word. It says that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the intents of the heart. It discerns our thoughts, doesn't it? It is a convicting word. And there are days when we read it and we study it that we're convicted by it. There are days that we're encouraged by it, we're exhorted, we're challenged by it. But we know that it's a very powerful word. James one twenty one says it's able to save your souls. And as Peter says, we've been born again by it. And as Peter, again, he comes here and he tells us we need to remember we are creatures that forget, are we not? You sit something down in a place that you've never set it, you find, spend the rest of the day looking for it, only because you've now put it in a new location. And what am I usually talking about when we say something like that? Your keys. How many of you have ever had this happen? I don't know where my sunglasses are, and they're right there on the top of your head. Well, you know, as we look at our, our eight-year anniversary, there are things that we have to constantly remember. There are things that we never want to forget. And one of those things is the power of the Word of God. We want to remember how powerful that it is in totally transforming the inner person. And I want us to also remember something else. In order to remember that this is our life's source, we have to do what he says in the rest of verse 1. And that is we have to eliminate sin. He says there, putting aside. You may have in your version, laying aside. This participle right here, laying aside, it has imperative force. It means to put off or put away, to cast off, to lay aside. The word has reference to to the discarding of an old, filthy garment. And what he is saying here, in view of the fact that divine life has been imparted to the believer, it is imperative that we put away once for all any sins that may be in this life. So the preposition here that's prefixed to this verb, it implies separation. There are things that we have to separate ourselves from. And sin is that one thing. We are commanded to separate ourselves from sin. And this act of separating from sin, it must be a once-for-all action. It's kind of like what you hear in the military. You know, about face march. You turn the opposite direction and you start marching. You turn your back on certain things. And we have to turn our back on sin and march away from it, not embrace it. Thomas Watson said, in order to profit from the word, you must remove the love of every sin. 
The Scripture prescribes excellent recipes, but sin lived in poisons all. The body cannot thrive in a fever, nor can the soul under the fervish or the feverish heat of lust. So you have to put it aside, put it off. And this is not the first time we hear language like this. Turn with me over to Ephesians 4. And notice where Paul uses the same kind of language. He says in chapter 4 and verse 22, he says in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside. And then he goes into different sins that we are to lay aside. Maybe these were issues that this church was dealing with. But again, we are to lay aside sin. We are to eliminate it in our lives. Colossians 3.8, he uses also that kind of language where he says, Do not, or rather verse 8, he says, But now you must also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So Peter is basically echoing Paul's words here. We are to put off or lay aside the deeds of the old man by casting off the works of darkness and by putting on, as Romans 13, 12 says, the armor of light. James also says this, James 1, 21. We are to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So yes, there are things that we have to deal with in our lives. And it starts with remembering that you were born again by the Word of God. You don't want, to, don't want to forsake that Word in any way or any manner. And you want to do what you can to eliminate those things in your life that will, that will hinder your desire. So let's look at them. He says, lay aside or put aside all malice. And this refers to any kind of wickedness. Paul Plato actually calls the love of sin Magnus Daemon, which actually means a great devil. Sin is a great devil. Would you agree with that? And the word he uses for malice is kakias, an all-inclusive term, and it refers, like I said, to the vice of any kind. It occurs 11 times in the New Testament. It indicates that wickedness which comes from within a person. It's called evil in Matthew 6.24. It's called maliciousness in Romans 1.29 and naughtiness in James 1.21. Peter even uses this word in Acts 8.22 when describing the wickedness of Simon who tried to buy the Holy Spirit. Paul used this word in Romans 1.29 to describe those whom God gave over to a debased mind. This is wickedness. This is an all-inclusive term. And this is something also that was part of our old life. Paul includes this word in Titus 3.3 when he describes what we used to be like. He says, For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 20, that when it comes to malice or evil, we are to be babes. He says, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, be babes in evil. So the Christian new life, he can't grow unless there are sins renounced in his life. And when that purging takes place, then the work of the Word does its work. And so he says you've got to first put, all, put aside malice. Secondly, he says all deceit might be translated guile in your translation. It's referring to fraud or treachery or deception. It means to deceive by using trickery or falsehood. Warren Wiersbe says it's a word that refers to craftiness, using devious words and actions to get what you want. So it can refer to the tongue. It can also refer to the deeds. Go to chapter 3 and verse 10. And he uses it when referring to the tongue. He says, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Our tongues are to speak what is good, not what is corrupt. Like it says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. We don't want to speak worthless, corrupt words. And the tongue will deceive us. The tongue will deceive others when a heart is given over to something like that. Our speech should be always, as it says in Colossians 4, 6, seasoned with salt. It should be always with grace so that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And this word can also refer to our deeds. You remember in John 1.47 when Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him? You remember what he said? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit or guile. The very life that he lived was a life that was free of deceit. And people took notice of that. Jesus took notice of that. So we're to put this aside as well. Malice, deceit. We have to remember all of these things come from the heart. Matthew 7, 21 to 23 says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. He says all these evil things come from within and defile the man. Next time you ask that question, when you have that evil thought come into your mind and you say, where did that come from? Just remember it came from within. It came from your evil heart. Look at the third one he mentions, hypocrisy. If we are guilty of malice, we will try to hide it. And what does that produce? Hypocrisy. Anytime you hide your sin, that's hypocrisy, isn't it? Anytime you talk about other people's sins and you don't deal with your sin, what is that? Hypocrisy. This word was generally used for flattery or deception. And then it came to be described as pretense or a kind of pretending. John MacArthur has a book on Jude. He calls it, Beware of the Pretenders. That's what false teachers are. They are pretenders. 
They pretend to be true teachers of the Word of God, but they are false teachers, just like many who attend church that pretend that they are believers, but they are not. That is hypocrisy. Or we may pretend that things are okay in our life when they are not. The word was also used of an actor on the Greek stage. What do actors do? You watch TV, you watch a movie, what are they doing? They are pretending. They're pretending to be someone that they are not. And some get a little upset when they do that so well that when they leave that particular program that they can never shake the character. I've heard people talk about that. You know, they try to go on into other careers like Andy Griffith. What's the show that you think about when you... (laughs) Matlock. You just blew that one out of the water, brother. (laughs) I was thinking more like, you know, (laughs) the Andy Griffith show, not Matlock. (laughs) He did very well in that show too, okay? And I would appreciate no more comment from you. (laughs) Start looking back at the ceiling. (laughs) Sorry, brother. I'll talk to you about it on the way home. (laughs) He rides with me. (laughs) But again, the point being made is that they are pretenders. They really are not what they are portraying in the movies or the TV. So it could refer to acts of impersonation. The word occurs seven times in the New Testament. Jesus used it to describe uh, the character of the scribes and Pharisees. He says in Matthew 23, listen to what he says in verse 28, "...even so you also outwardly appear righteous to men." But inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, you appear one way, but the reality is that you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And he called them hypocrites. Over in Luke 12.1, he actually told the disciples to beware of their hypocrisy. He says, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven, that is the false teaching of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. We were looking briefly this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and he talks about this being something that would mark the last days. He says this, 1 Timothy 4, 1, But the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars. Hypocrisy. And of course, this is something that we have to examine our lives with. Romans 12.9 tells us to let us love without hypocrisy. We are to hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And so Peter says you've got to put this aside. Be genuine. Be sincere. Don't be hypocritical. The next one he mentions is envy. And envy basically is the feeling of displeasure that's produced by witnessing or hearing of the advantage or the prosperity of others. It's a hatred of others on account of some excellency which they have, as Albert Bourne says. Or it's something that they possess which we do not possess, so it creates an envy. John Gill says that this is envy at each other's happiness and prosperity, riches, honors, gifts temporal or spiritual. 
John MacArthur adds, envy is a sin that carries its own reward. It guarantees its own frustration and disappointments. By definition, the envious person cannot be satisfied with what he has and will always crave for more. His evil desires and pleasures are insatiable, and he cannot abide by any other person's having something that he himself does not have or having more of something that he himself does not have. That's envy. And of course, this was also part of our old life. This is listed in Galatians 5.21 as a work of the flesh. And it also marks out those to whom God has given over to a debased mind. It says in Romans 1.29 that they were full of envy. And then notice the last one, evil speaking or all slander, as it says there in verse 1. This is the idea of, well, there are several different ways to define it, but it means to speak against a person. And it often involves speaking evil of or hostile speech or insult or evil speech or slander. Uh, maybe used to a very more contemporary term, it's backbiting. Many times it's gossip. But it's, it's speaking down a person. It, it has the idea of defaming them or of slandering them, speaking against that person. And, you know, when you look at this, you, you can see why Peter addresses all five of these issues. You could just hear the person say, well, I've got a handle on all these things, but what about things that are not in the list? He starts out with the first one, a very general but all-inclusive term, translated here as malice, but the word is really wickedness, all wickedness. That would pick up anything that's not in this list, right? We are to put it aside. And we have to realize that any sin, even if it's not in the list, any sin will hinder your desire. It will hinder your desire for truth. All sin does is gratify the flesh. All sin does is make the flesh feel good about itself. It makes you forget about your life source. It makes you forget about what it was that brought new spiritual life. Many churches have been destroyed by these sins. Many homes have been destroyed. Many marriages have been destroyed by these sins. If we are to put this aside, once you do this, he tells you basically in verse 2, then you can crave the Word. If you're dealing with sin in your life on a daily basis, then you're seeking to stamp out that which would retard your growth. Are you fighting against those things that attack your desire for God's Word? You've been listening today to Desiring the Pure Word, taken from 1 Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. This message is available by calling us at 904-651-3351. Or you can download the free MP3 from our website, at www.changedbygrace.org. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope you'll join us again next time as we study together from God's Word. Do you struggle to memorize Scripture? Have you ever considered singing it? Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford, and I'd like to help. Visit my website at steveherford.com. There you will find over 40 scripture memory songs like the one playing now. 
Again, visit us at steveherford.com to learn more.